So welcome back again to the second part of our podcast here on Common Sea Inspirations. My name is John Kelly. And today we start a five-week series of homilies by Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop Barron founded the Word and Fire Ministries, a Catholic media organisation based in the United States, which provides various resources to encourage Catholics live out their faith. Bishop Barron gave these homilies, this series of homilies, uh, after Easter this year. He leads us in reflections on the book of Revelation. And today, the title of his homily is The Unveiling of a New World. So we wish to thank Word and Fire Ministries for giving us permission to use this recording. Peace be with you. Friends, on this second Sunday of Easter, we commence a reading now for the rest of the Easter season of the book of Revelation. So it's the second reading for the rest of the Easter season. So I want to take advantage of this opportunity to talk in a sustained way about this great book, a book that has fascinated Christians and non-Christians for the past 2,000 years. It's the final book of the Bible, and that's, of course, interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, at one point, the Bible was compiled. You have all these texts that were floating around, you know, both the, the Hebrew text and then the Greek text. And at a certain point, the church canonized them. It just means the church put them in a particular order, and it put the book of Revelation last. Now, anybody with a literary sensibility knows that what comes last in a poem or an epic or a novel right, or a play is of great importance. Very often the beginning, you know, think of Moby Dick, call me Ishmael. You know, the opening line often will tell you a lot about the story. But the way the story or the play ends is of extraordinary significance. So the church decided very early on the entire biblical revelation would end with this book of Revelation. So we should look at it with great interest. That's why the church now during this holiest of seasons focuses our attention upon it. Now, I've shared some of this before, but it's a very important point. I want to make it again. Revelation, this English word, comes from a Latin revelatio, which in turn translates the Greek apocalypsis, apocalypse. And right away, apocalypse, it means the end of the world. It means the whole world falling apart. It means the stars falling. And But see, what the word means, apocalypsis in Greek, means unveiling, taking away the calypsis, the veil, but which is why revelatio, taking the vellum, taking the veil away, revelation. So it's not precisely about the end of the physical world. I'm going to suggest that's more of a symbolic language. Rather, something is being revealed in this text. Something that was hidden is being unveiled to us. Think about this too, everybody. If the book of Revelation were primarily about the end of the physical cosmos, like describing what that will be like, then the book of Revelation would be of real interest only to one generation, the generation around when the physical world comes to an end, right? So for the past 2,000 years, Christians have been reading this text liturgically and otherwise. Well, the world hasn't ended. Therefore, if that's all the book means, then it really has had no significance. If the world doesn't end in the next, what, 25 years or so, it has no significance for me. Why am I bothering with it? But in point of fact, the church from the beginning 
has put this great text at the very end of, of all of sacred scripture because it's meant to speak to every generation. It's meant to unveil something that every generation of Christians needs to see. You know, people wonder, well, well there is an awful lot of like, violence and upheaval, and uh, there are indeed descriptions of stars falling from the sky and earthquakes and floods and disease and famine and all these terrible things, and it certainly sounds like the end of the world. Let me suggest something to you. I think what's being described there in very evocative language is what it's like when an old world is giving way and a new world is being born. Think of of it's less true out here in California. We don't have that many storms. I think my Chicago background, and there's always storms rolling through. That when two weather systems right meet and they're they're opposite, different temperatures or whatever, different pressures and so on, that tends to produce storms. Think of, of this book as describing the meeting of two kind of weather systems. The, the weather system of the old world, predicated upon violence and oppression and, and cruelty and, and so on, meeting the new world, listen now, which is being unveiled. It's being revealed to us, this new world. Well, what that produces are storms, upheaval. Yes, things like earthquake. It means that the old world's giving way and the new world is being born. Now, let me give away the game at the beginning and we'll just keep uh, explicating this as I go. What's the new world? The new world that is born of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I talked last week on Easter about just the strangeness and the radicality of this claim. Jesus rising from the dead means that, that the whole order of the world is shaken. Yeah, right. It unveils something. It reveals something. The world that God wants to be born out of the ruins of the old. I think that's the right way to approach this text. Okay, with all that introduction in mind, so that's kind of an introduction to the next several sermons I'm going to give. But let's now look at the reading for today from the book of Revelation. It's the very beginning we hear this, on the island of Patmos, because I proclaimed God's word and gave testimony to Jesus. Who's speaking here? Well, he identifies himself as John, and the tradition identifies him with John, the beloved disciple, John the evangelist. Read the scholars on this, and they'll, <laughs> they'll put you to sleep with discussions of, of who this might be. We don't know for sure, but he calls himself John. But what I want to draw your attention to is the fact that he's on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is a little island off the coast of present-day Turkey. And keep in mind, Christianity sort of comes of age in that part of the world. Paul is preaching in Asia Minor, right, and then over into Greece and so on. Well, Patmos is a little island off the Turkish coast. But at the time, it was a sort of penal colony, a place where Rome sent prisoners. Think of, you know, across the centuries, there have been places like that where you know, pretty serious criminals were put because they were dangerous and they had to be isolated. So here's this figure. Why is Rome afraid of him? Why has Rome put him in a penal colony? Undoubtedly because he's declaring the lordship of Jesus risen from the dead. The Romans knew. They knew how revolutionary that message was. They knew that message meant the old world is giving way and a new world's being born. And so that's why our author 
is on the island of Patmos. John tells us on the Lord's Day, a very important, let's not run past that, the Lord's Day, Sunday, Resurrection Day, right? What, what is the unveiling of this new world? It comes from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's the Lord's Day. Moreover, what was the Lord's Day? The day when Christians gathered to pray and to worship. So Jews would have gathered on the Sabbath day. Christians said, no, the next day, the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection. So John's going to tell us about something that happened to him on Resurrection Day when Christians gather to praise and to worship. Listen now. He says he was caught up in spirit. Well, it's what happens to us when we pray. We're caught up in the spirit of Christ. We're drawn, as it were, up out of the ordinary world into a contemplation of the higher world. So he's deep in prayer. He's deep in, call it maybe a mystical rapture. And then he hears a voice like a trumpet telling him to write down what he hears. He turns to see who's speaking to him. And he says, there was a figure with an ankle-length robe and with a gold sash across his chest, and he was standing amidst seven lampstands. Okay, now we hear that in the 21st century you know, West, and we say, okay, I don't know what that means. But trust me, no Jew in the first century reading this text would have missed those references. What's the ankle-length robe? Well, that's the ephod of a temple priest. The person he sees now, he's caught up in rapture on the Lord's day, the day of resurrection. The person he sees is a priest. The gold sash, that's a kingly symbol. He's a priest, someone who gives God right praise, and he's a king who is exerting a new kind of authority and power in the world. Now, keep going. He's standing among seven gold lampstands. Now, we've seen these, the menorah, the seven-branched candelabra. It was one of the accoutrements, one of the furnishings, if you want, inside the the, uh, uh, temple. What's being emphasized here is this is a priest-king in the temple. Now, what was the temple? For a first century Jew. It was the place where God dwelled. It was the place where we met the God of Israel, the place where heaven and earth come together. Do you see how richly Christological all this symbolism is? He hears a voice, he turns to look, and he sees the priest, the king, who is among the uh, seven uh, lamps, the God of Israel. This is the way the Christians understood the power and significance of the person of Jesus. He is in person the God of Israel, who will function as high priest and as king. Temple, the place of right praise. God, rather, John has been invited by God into this place of encounter. He meets the priest and the king, 
and he will begin to give this God right praise because he has introduced a new order into the world. Listen now as he goes on. He touched me with his right hand. So he, the, the priest and king in the temple. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the one who lives. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever. So Jesus now speaks to him. Don't you love that the first thing he says to him is, don't be afraid. There's that line that it's been pointed out, appears 365 times in the Bible, once for each day of the year. It's the word that Jesus, upon his resurrection, said to his disciples when they saw him, don't be afraid. So this is the risen Christ offering his peace. And then, I'm the first and the last, the one who lives. This is the resurrected Jesus. The whole book of Revelation, friends, is going to unfold as a meditation upon the power and meaning of the resurrection. Once I was dead, put to death by the power of Rome, put to death by a fallen world, but now I'm alive forever and ever. Through the power of God the Father, the Son is now alive forever. Here's the thing now, listen to me. What does the world look like in light of this resurrection? It's going to look like the old world falling apart. It's going to look like earthquake and flood and famine and destruction of the old way, represented indeed by the Rome that put this Jesus to death. That world is giving way, and the new world is being born. The very people who persecuted the early church, the very people who put John on Potmos as a prisoner, I know they seem powerful, but their world, it's going away. And the new one is coming to be. Friends, this is what's going to be unveiled to us in the course of this book of Revelation. Follow me the next several weeks as we now see the full implication of this unveiling. And God bless you. And we'll finish this part of our podcast today with... Beautiful piece of music again, played by Melinda Dimitriscu, entitled Jesus, I Believe.